Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. You can give me about 90 minutes, I'm going to give you the world. We'll talk with our broadcast partners, looking at current events in the section of the world that they're responsible for reporting on, and letting you know how the activities, the current events there, are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We're going to have a great program. Winky Madad just finished up with Yom Kippur, the most sacred day in the Jewish world. He's now ready for the Feast of Tabernacles. He's been building a thatched hut. We'll talk with him about that. And Winky will give us an election update on the situation there in Israel, and we'll talk about the U.S. withdrawal from Syria, all the troops moving out of there. And then Don DeYoung, there's a couple of items out in space I want to talk with Don about. You remember he's an astronomer and a scientist, and we're going to talk about a couple of baby stars, 20 moons around Saturn. You don't want to miss that conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. By the way, I'm in temporary studios here in Titusville, Florida. We're going to be at the Temple Baptist Church all day Sunday, then we'll skip Monday, and on Tuesday, they have a prime timers. I think they have four or 500 people are going to come. It starts at 1030. I'm going to have about an hour to give a Middle East news update to the prime timers. We're going to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles in my update. It'll be a great time. Temple Baptist Church. Two services on Sunday, in addition to that prophecy Q&A in the afternoon. Well, let's go to Ken Timmerman now. And Ken, I guess the lead story has to be the situation between Turkey and Syria. The United States pull out of their troops by President Trump. Let's talk about the Turkey-Syrian offensive as it's going on, even as we speak. Then we'll get to some of the other items. What about this? Can you tell us right now? Well, it's a pretty broad-based offensive across the entire border, about 400 miles of northern Syria from an area called Manbij, uh, which is where the Turks broke off last year when they crossed the border, all the way over to the Iraqi border in the east. So it's a, a very long front that they've opened up. They're attacking uh, Kurdish civilian areas, cities, and towns. The reports from the Kurdish Red Crescent, which is their version of the Red Cross, that the Turks have been shelling hospitals, and this would be quite deliberately because they know where the hospitals are, and even convoys of civilian political officials who come to try to mediate. Um, the reports we have so far, Jimmy, about 70,000 people uh, have left their homes or on the roads as new refugees heading south into Syria. And the Syrian Democratic Forces commander uh, said on Thursday that if the situation gets desperate now that the United States has essentially withdrawn our troops from the area, not all of our support, but all of our troops, he could eventually seek an alliance with Syria's Bashar al-Assad, the Syrian government, to resist the Turkish invasion. What about Iran's President Rouhani? He's urging Turkey to avoid any military action in Syria. Looks like they're ignoring his suggestion. Well, it's kind of interesting to see that from Rouhani. Now, I don't hear that coming from the Supreme Leader. And let's not forget who calls the shots in Iran. It's definitely not Rouhani. But, but you do see that the uh, regular army, uh, which uh, obeys the defense minister as opposed to the Revolutionary Guards, the regular army held just the same day that Turkey went in 
and exercise in northern Iran near the Turkish border. Now, I got to say, you don't call an exercise like that overnight. So this is something that clearly has been in the works for some time. And the Iranians have other reasons for holding that exercise. They are not threatening Turkey. They are holding it in an area called Urumiya in the northwestern part of Iran, close to the Turkish border, where in the past they have set up a joint military headquarters with Turkey to smash the Kurds. So what I think is going on here is exactly the opposite of what Rouhani is saying. I think the Iranians are, in fact, working together with Turkey to put pressure on the Kurds, both in Iran and in Syria. So this is the Iranian piece of it. They're trying to put uh, pressure on the Kurds, and specifically they're going to try to hit Kurds, I believe, in northern Iraq in some of those camps that I visited. You know, it's interesting to note that Tayyip Erdogan, in the meantime, is telling the European Union to wake up. He's threatened to send millions of refugees into Europe if the European Union labels uh, this Turkish operation an invasion. That's basically what it is. European Union, are they going to be ready for all of those refugees? Well, first of all, this is it's a disgrace that our media is not putting this on the front pages. Uh, Erdogan saying absolutely in clear language, if you try to frame our operation as an invasion, we'll open the doors and send 3.6 million migrants to you. I mean, that's just a blatant threat. It's an obvious, you know, strong-arm tactic. It ought to be on the front pages. It ought to help to wake people up that Erdogan is no ally of NATO. He does not belong in NATO, hasn't belonged in NATO for several years, in my opinion. And uh, the Europeans have been really walking a tightrope with him for a number of years. They are terrified of him opening his borders and have sent billions of dollars of aid to Turkey to prevent him from doing so. Uh, This is a serious threat, and the Europeans will take it very seriously. And meanwhile, Prime Minister Netanyahu in Israel says that cooperation with Russia is going to be critical right now with the United States pulling out of Syria. What does that mean geopolitically? Do you have an idea? Well, uh, again, let's remember that Netanyahu has met with President Putin something like 18 times over the past four years, and almost every one of those meetings, if not every one of them, has been over Syria. What's going on in Syria and to make sure that they have a deconfliction channel so uh, Israeli Air Force uh, pilots do not run into their Russian counterparts. So I I think what you're seeing here is more of this cooperation. We discussed here a couple of weeks ago when talking about the Israeli elections, Benjamin Netanyahu's invaluable experience over the past couple of years in building this relationship with Putin, which for now at least is helping to guarantee Israel's security. Now, we don't know where that, that's going to go, and we don't know whether the Russians are going to turn around on a dime because they blow hot one day and blow cold the next on Israel. But Netanyahu is trying to ensure that the Russians calm things down a little bit and hopefully help to prevent a humanitarian disaster. By the way, the other thing Netanyahu is, has said that they will, Israel will provide humanitarian assistance to the Kurds and call the Kurds heroes. Yeah, the Kurds have been real good friends for Israel, have they not? They have been good friends, and they've been friends for decades. Talk to me about Russia. They're sending three messages to Turkey as it relates to Syria. Now, Russia's really the main player there in that part of the world. What are these messages? Do you have any idea? 
Well, I, I think, again, that the Russians are trying to preserve their interests in Syria, their immediate interests in Syria, which are, number one, their military bases. Number two, they want to ensure that Bashar al-Assad remains in power because he is their guy. Right? They've spent a lot of effort, uh, spent a lot of money um, over the past four years shoring up the Assad regime and helping him to expand his power throughout the country and to beat back this insurgency. So I think the, the Russians are trying to damp down the Turkish uh, invasion. They would like the Turks to be quick about it, to not expand too far, to not carry out too much destruction. All of these things, which I think we're going to see in the next couple of days, we're going to see whether the Turks moderate their behavior or not. So far, they've not, and they've been really conducting indiscriminate shelling in, in the Kurdish towns along the Turkish border. I wanted, Ken, to give all this background to our listeners so that I could come to the article that you've written. It's there on Front Page Magazine, and we're going to post it on our website, prophecytoday.com. I'm going to deal with the prophetic significance, and I think there's a lot as it relates to what's going on. I would love for you to tell us politically, and the title of your article, why the Syrian pullout makes sense. Talk to us about that with all the other information we already have. First of all, look, the president was elected, President Trump was elected to end the endless wars. He said that over and over again. He doesn't want the United States to get dragged into these endless wars. By the way, he believes that the deep state is seeking to perpetuate the endless wars. I'll give you one example, Afghanistan. We, we've been at war in Afghanistan for 18 years. Every time a president, and this was with Obama the same, asks the military for an option. How do we end this endless war? They just give him more of the same. And uh, Obama was frustrated with this, and President Trump has been frustrated with this. Uh, in Syria, the United States has no uh, legal presence in Syria. Um, the Iranians and the Russians, whether we like it or not, they do. Also, there's no congressional authorization of the uh, Syrian operation to have troops in Syria. And the president is saying, look, let's just get out of the way. This is a, a, a millennial tribal conflict between the Turks and the Kurds. It's not our fight. We love the Kurds. We've supported the Kurds. They have helped us against ISIS. But they were actually serving their own interest in the fight against ISIS so they could shore up their territorial, uh, their, their area in northern sea in northern Syria. This is not our fight, is what the president is saying. And he's saying, I will not commit U.S. troops to have them die overseas and come back, you know, in, in flag-draped coffins for battles which do not engage our direct national security interests. Some great thoughts from Ken Timmerman, this article, Why the Syrian Pullout Makes Sense. It'll be on our website, Front Page Magazine. You can go there also to be able to read it. And, uh, of course, when I take a look at the book, we'll cover it prophetically and what this all does mean. Very significant prophetic understanding of what's happening. Ken, thank you so very much. I appreciate it, my good friend. Always bringing great information to the table. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Middle East News Update. David Dolan, he's standing by. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today here in Temporary Studios in Titusville, Florida. We'll be at the Temple Baptist Church all day Sunday. There'll be a service in the morning at 11 a.m. and then 6 p.m. in the evening. We'll have a Prophecy Q&A on Sunday afternoon. That's going to be a, a great time, so come and join us if you can. Well, let's go to David Dolan. I promised he would come here with his Middle East News Update uh, David, let me just start with the holidays, and we'll just take a short little report at them because I want to get into some really political things that are happening and militarily. But Yom Kippur passed fairly quiet this year. Now all the Jewish people preparing their sukkahs, getting ready for our Feast of Tabernacles. There'll be thousands of Christians coming into Jerusalem at the same time. Am I correct? You are, Jimmy. The annual uh, Christian Embassy Feast of Tabernacles celebration is on, and they have thousands of people coming. Again, large contingents from South America, Brazil in particular, but also from South Korea, so stretching all across the world, South Africa, the United States, and of course Europe, and many Israeli uh, believers go to the Christian event as well, because uh, they do have a night in Hebrew, And, in fact, they have one night meant for non-believers. They don't have anything evangelistic goes on at that night. They just have the prime minister usually come and speak and some other Israeli-centered events. So it's always uh, well-attended. And, of course, most people will be at home uh, during the week in their sukkahs. Yom Kippur did pass quietly, but everybody was distressed when the news did come back on at the end of the period where there's no TV broadcast for 25 hours. Uh, to learn about the attack in Germany on a synagogue there 
and uh, a reminder that Israel and the Jewish people still have many enemies out there. And soon after that, there was the news that President Trump has decided to pull out U.S. troops there in Syria. That made Prime Minister Netanyahu comment saying that cooperation with Russia is critical now with the U.S. leaving Syria. What is the thinking there among the Israeli leaders on this pullout of U.S. troops? Well, yes, Jimmy. Quoting the Prime Minister, he tweeted that Israel strongly condemns the Turkish invasion of the Kurdish areas in Syria and warns against the ethnic cleansing of the Kurds, which he termed a gallant people. There's a lot of affinity between the Kurdish people and uh, Israel. There's actually quite a few thousand Kurdish Jews. Many of them have moved to Israel. There's a couple communities that are mostly Kurds in the north of Israel. And uh, they have a lot of sympathy for them. Of course, they, as the Jewish people, have been under attack for so many centuries and have been ostracized and hunted down and all these sorts of things. So they feel very much for the Kurds now. They're also, Jimmy, very, very worried. You mentioned Russia, very worried about President Trump's decision to uh, basically give a green light to the operation. They're worried, what will he do with us? And in fact, Later on in the week, at a toast commemorating the Yom Kippur War, the Prime Minister um, brought that up, and he said, we are ready to defend ourselves alone if we have to. He said, we don't want to be alone, we want to have friends, but we are prepared to stand alone, indicating that they're not so certain that President Trump, who has this strong isolationist streak in him, apparently, talks about these endless wars, that he really would come to Israel's aid. And he mentioned in his speech the fact that during the Yom Kippur War in 1973, it took the United States several weeks to actually come around to actively supporting Israel just in the final days of that war, actually. And, of course, President Nixon at the time was involved in an impeachment process. So that was a distraction. So they're not sure, Jimmy, what will happen, how the U.S. will react if there is a war with Iran. And There is an ongoing war. We had more action along the Iraqi-Syrian border on Friday, a lot of attacks taking place, some attributing those to Israel, some saying Saudi Arabia, some saying both. We had a possible Saudi missile attack on an Iranian tanker in the Red Sea, south of Israel, on Friday. Two missiles fired at it, so there's ongoing activity. If it blows into a full war, how will President Trump respond? They're just not sure, and of course... Russia has, uh, Putin has been fairly close to Netanyahu, and uh, the Prime Minister did indicate that they will cozy up further to Russia if they have to. They don't want to. They would rather stay with the United States. But again, just that uncertainty as to whether this president will really actively back Israel. They think so, but they're not certain. Well, at the same time, Israel is pondering a preemptive operation to prevent Iran cruise missiles striking the state of Israel. Is that a pretty almost-to-happen type of thing? Well, yes. The Prime Minister on Thursday also hinted at a possible preemptive strike. He didn't say it uh, straightforwardly, but he used terms that were certainly interpreted by many listeners as indicating a possible preemptive strike. This comes as intelligence photos, Jimmy, continue to show that the Iranians are preparing their cruise missiles and other drone aircraft and other weapons inside of Iran itself for an attack. Now, whether that attack would be another one upon Saudi Arabia or upon Israel or both, they can't be sure of. 
but certainly Israel is included. We've had the recent statements, as we mentioned last week, again from various Iranian leaders about destroying Israel, that Israel is now surrounded, one of the leaders said, and we can go after it. Of course, the Turkish invasion of northern Syria has them worried also, because this is going to give more of a green light for Iran to operate in Syria to smuggle more forces in, which they continue to do. So, yes, uh, a preemptive strike. Well, really, Jimmy, Israel has been striking Iranian positions, especially in Syria, for the last several years. So it wouldn't be out of the blue, but this would be on Iranian targets in Iran. So they are thinking very seriously about that. The consequences of the Yom Kippur War, where Israel ignored the signs of a pending attack, uh, were dire. They don't want to go through that again, so we could wake up any day to hear that Israel has struck at these Iranian positions. Do you really think that Iran sees this as an open door for them to go after Israel? Uh, They are much concerned about the Turkish invasion of Syria and then the Kurds as well. Would they take this as an opportunity to go after the Israeli state and send some of those cruise missiles at Israel? Well, yes, they're not real thrilled about Turkey's action in one sense, but on another level, they do realize that it's been the chaos and continuing conflict inside of Syria that has given them the open door to be there at all. And the Assad regime invited them in to defeat its enemies. Uh, They're not going to be fighting against the Turks, although the Assad regime may end up doing that at some point. uh, Doubtful, but it could happen. But again, just the chaos in the north, allowing them to do more activities in the south and the center, closer to Israel, uh, with the Syrians preoccupied and everybody else preoccupied with what else is happening. So it's not a good situation at all, and the Israelis are very, very concerned. These are all external concerns that Israel is talking about. Internally, they cannot forget about the Palestinians. I understand the Palestinian Authority has wiped out all different agreements or accords with Israel from their textbooks. In other words, they're training up the children to forget about any kind of a coexistence between the Israelis and Palestinians, saying, look, we count all those as nullified. What do you know? Well, Jimmy, as you've talked about many times over the years, and I've talked about it and other guests of yours, the Palestinians have never really uh, made peace with Israel, the Palestinian Authority. I'm talking about the PLO that did sign the Oslo Peace Accords in 1993 on the White House lawn. It never resulted in any real peace. Uh, They did change some things in their textbooks. They did, for a while, moderate some of their anti-Jewish and anti-Israel statements on television and TV programs, this sort of thing. But it's been very, very weak. And now, as you said, in recent months and years, they've been diluting it even further. So there is just no talk of peace. There's no talk of coexistence. The desire to see Israel wiped out is strong, which is why, of course, if Iran does uh, attack Israel or if Israel and Iran get into a war, however it happens, if Hezbollah opens up first, that's a possibility we can be guaranteed that Hamas, Islamic Jihad, but also many ordinary Palestinians will back uh, Israel's enemies in their attempt to, as they say, wipe Israel off the face of the map. That's what the Palestinians really want to see. They want total Islamic control over Jerusalem. Now, again, this isn't all Palestinians. We have several hundred thousand that are Christians. But um, the majority are Muslims, and the majority do want to see, and polls show this, Israel destroyed. So, The government is just pandering to that and not doing anything 
to moderate. And, of course, a couple months ago we mentioned that Abbas, the PA leader, said, uh, like the late PLO chairman Arafat used to say, that we will drive the Jews out of this region into the sea. So peace is not on their minds at all. That's the voice of David Dolan. He's the man who gives us his Middle East news update on a weekly basis. We need this report to understand the region and how the prophetic scenario found in God's Word is coming closer into view, better focus each and every day. David, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. We're going to talk about Feast of Tabernacles with Winky, what he's going to be doing to live in his sukkah, and an update on the Israeli elections. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at the broadcast headquarters for us as we travel. We're in Titusville, Florida. We're going to be at the Temple Baptist Church all day on Sunday. And then something very unique. We'll take Monday off because it's a holiday. And then on Tuesday around noon, we're going to get together with a number of prime timers. You know us elder citizens. <laughs> We're going to get together. We're going to have a great meal. I'm going to give them a Middle East news update. It's going to be a marvelous time. That's the Temple Baptist Church all day Sunday, and that's on Washington Avenue there in Titusville, Florida. Come study the prophetic word of God, and if you're a prime timer, be sure to join us on Tuesday about noon there at the church. Well, we're going to bring now to this microphone Winky Madad, one of our dear friends in Israel, a broadcast partner with us for many years. And Winky, I know that you're in between special holy days. Haksameach to you, by the way. Thank you, Jimmy. You're certainly welcome. And I know that you've already been down to Jerusalem to work, and you're now back at your home there in Shiloh, a very historic biblical site and a wonderful location in the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria. I want you just to reflect, just a moment, I've got a number of things to talk to you about, but reflect with our audience how it was for you, a Jewish man, to go into the most sacred of all the Jewish holy days that God gave the Jewish people over in Leviticus chapter 23, and we're talking, of course, about Yom Kippur. Just give us a couple of reflections of how sacred and how important that day is to the Jewish world. 
Well, Jimmy, the concept of atonement in which man literally pleads before God to, A, recognize the sins and the misdeeds that he has done in the previous year, both in thought and in deed, and then he commits himself to repenting. We had the special service on Yom Kippur, of course, as not exactly as it was in the temple, but it reflects many aspects of it. And we five times repeat a special formula that takes us maybe five minutes uh, in public to do so. And it's a very riveting type of experience for those who take it very seriously, in the sense of, uh, I'm trying to look for words that would be understood, communing in the sense of we place ourselves at the mercy of the divine being. And uh, since we do it as a community, in terms of fasting, in terms of praying together, Jimmy, we were in synagogue all together, I think, close to 10 hours Mm -hmm. over the day. Uh, And the last hour and a half or so, we're standing up because the uh, Holy Ark is open. is a very special spiritual experience. I'm sure that it was, and I think that that is so informative for our people who are not Jewish to understand the seriousness and the sacredness of this day, Yom Kippur. Now, after the 25-hour fast, you got everything completed for observing Yom Kippur. You immediately start looking towards the next High Holy Day, five days later, which will be Tabernacles. Actually, you begin preparing for Tabernacles right away, do you not? Absolutely. First of all, just before Yom Kippur, my uh, oldest son came to help me put up the sukkah, the the booth or the tabernacle in which we eat our meals over the upcoming holiday. So that was ready. We didn't have to labor too much, he and I. We got it down to more or less an exercise. Uh, Right after Yom Kippur was out, here in Shiloh, we have uh, several families who sort of act as agents for the four species. As is written in the Bible, we take four elements of agriculture, the palm frond, the myrtle. I'm going to lose my English on these names. You'll probably help me out, Jimmy. We call it the citron fruit, the etrog, and the leaves uh, uh, that are willow leaves from the riverbank or from a source of water. And uh, we bought them last night. So we're already set for the upcoming holiday, uh, which will be on Sunday night, Monday, in which we will use those four species uh, in a short part of the service, as is written in the Bible. Well, Winky, those four species to represent what the Jewish people would do during that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, put up a sukkah, come like a thatched hut, and then they would put limbs over the top for a roof situation, and they were made up of these four different species. Is that correct? Uh, Partially. Actually, we used to walk around the altar on the holiday, on each of the days, each day saying the Hallel, the special series of uh, psalms that uh, we view as a a long prayer altogether, encircling the altar uh, with all of them, and we do that in a synagogue as well as a replication, if I can use that word, or a remnant's replication of what was done in the temple. Uh, As I've 
said many times on your program, and you have also reminded me, all of Jewish worship in the Orthodox community reflects what was done at some form or other what was done in the Temple. The Temple was destroyed, but we have our prayers, but we use them in a certain sense to reflect or to resonate what was done in the Temple itself. Now, with the beginning of Tabernacles, you then will start using that sukkah or that tabernacle, that thatched hut there at your home, uh, to have your meals in, spend time with your friends, talk to your business partners, whatever may be going on, your children, grandchildren come and play there. That's a wonderful time of sweet fellowship, isn't it? Well, yes. Basically, we are instructed to move out of the house. In other words, out of your safe zone, I think we'll use some of the terminology that's maybe uh, more frequently used by the younger people today, out of our safe zone into the sukkah, which is a reflection of our belief that God will uh, protect us and take care of us. There are some very brave souls who will sleep in the sukkah. Most of us, though, just simply, as you said, take our meals there, relax there, uh, receive guests and family there, and sort of it's a reflection on, again, uh, a trust in the divine providence, in God, that we envelop ourselves in this remembrance of what was many, many years ago in the desert and in the second, at first and second temple period. Winky, I want to take you out of these wonderful times of the Jewish feast days that you're participating in right now, and back to the mundane. Uh, let's see what you know. Has there been any election update that you can talk about any closer to forming a coalition government. I know it's been the Yom Kippur and everything else going on. Do you have any information at all about the coalition government being put together? Uh, Jimmy, it's like watching a ballet. It, it looks kind of funny and very delicate, but some people think it's beautiful. Uh, some of these coalition talks are uh, like that. As far as I know at the present moment, the blue and white faction or party led by three former commanders-in-chief of the Israel Defense Army are waiting for Mr. Netanyahu to fail to set up a broad coalition because Netanyahu has uh, committed himself to uh, holding on to his block, which includes religious and, ultra, in fact, ultra-Orthodox political parties, and they're waiting for him to give it up so they can take over and see if they can get a crack at it. Uh, it'll be very difficult for them, too. Uh, Mr. Lieberman, as we mentioned before, who heads a Russian party, basically, of Russian immigrants, uh, he doesn't want the religious, but he wants a broad coalition. And he's more right-wing than they are. So uh, we're all spinning around here. It's not yet Hanukkah when we have that spinning dreidel game, but... <laughs> uh, I cannot inform you, Jimmy, of any successes by anybody at this present moment. I imagine it'll be a couple of days down the road before we get any real, true, good information about the forming of a coalition government. One other item before I let you go, Winky. President Trump made a decision to pull out all U.S. troops out of Syria. I think that uh, the Prime Minister said just a day or two ago uh, that Israel's going to have to be ready to stand alone. What's the concern about the U.S. pullout of troops there in Syria as it relates to Israel? Well, Jimmy, there are two things. Pulling out troops, 
I don't think there were very many, if I read their papers correctly, is one thing. And that uh, no one really can argue about. Americans should not be dying unnecessarily abroad unless there's a strong need to defend freedom. That leads me to my second item. Allowing Turkey to invade, on the other hand, is a little bit inexplicable. Foreign affairs should also have an element of the moral and the ethical about it, whether it's freedom, whether it's liberty, whether it's taking people uh, out of an oppressive regime or relieving them maybe even from economic uh, issues or other things. Once an administration begins to devalue the element of morality in international politics, the idea that we are judged by God as we do to our fellow man, that begins to become troubling, because Israel, with all that we have to give to the world in technology and science and everything else, if no one thinks we have a moral value to exist as a people in our country, we also then uh, are beginning to say, is this the way an American president or an American administration will be acting on those values of strict, we are America and we don't want our people uh, to die unnecessarily, well, that's, that's problematic, because then we look back at World War II and even World War I, when America fought for the freedom of the world, not only for America, because America is part of the world. We're all in this together, and we hope that uh, uh, more sense or more logic and we'll be forthcoming about his decision so we can make a, a choice about how we go ourselves. Wow, Winky, that was a very thought-provoking statement that you've just made. Just friends, I hope that you'll go back and re-listen to what Winky had to say because a great thought put into it, and you might want to consider prayerfully contacting your representative to pass along some of the thoughts that Winky gave to us. Winky, thank you so very much. Uh, going to be a great time for you and Feast of Tabernacles. Hak Sameach to you, my friend, and we'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, I thank you for the Hag Sameach greeting and blessing, and I wish you and yours and everybody who's listening a wonderful and good life and time. Winky Madad, very interesting conversation with him as we looked at Yom Kippur, the Feast of Tabernacles, an update on the elections and the withdrawal from Syria by the United States troops and what Israelis are thinking about that, and in particular the Prime Minister. We'll stay on top of that story with Winky and others. Right now we're going to John Root. In fact, I'm going to continue thoughts along that line that we talked with Winky about because John covers the European Union for us. He's a man who lived in Brussels for a number of years, knows that part of the world very, very much, and he is capable of giving us the insight we need. John, what about the fact that Turkey has launched an offensive in northern Syria, basically going after the Kurds, and here Turkey is a member of NATO. European Union must be concerned about this. Wow. Mentioning Turkey and NATO these days, very, very interesting topic and very sensitive. Of course, the United States has pulled out some of the forces from northern uh, Syria, 
Turkey has immediately uh, gone into the vacuum. The uh, motive behind it is uh, specifically to, quote, create a safe zone that would be sort of a anti-terror corridor. Yet, Turkey has seen this as a plan that they would create a safe zone that they would put their refugees from Syria into this particular zone. So there's actually 3.6 million Syrian refugees that are in Turkey. So they're seeing this as part of the solution of their own refugee situation. But President Erdogan has said in very recent speech, he said, this is a quote, Hey, EU, wake up. I say it again. If you try to frame our operation there as an invasion, our task is simple. We will open the doors and send 3.6 million migrants to you. So uh, true to form, the Turkish president is taking a very hardliner stand. And uh, this is very, very strong rhetoric coming from this. We have to see what will be the end result. The EU is saying even if there was this zone created, it, it would not have the security desire to move anyone there. What about the fact that the European Union is going to have to deal with Erdogan and what you just reported? He said, "How are they going to, are they going to wake up and deal with it?" That's interesting uh, because we do have the situation of the new European Union high representative, and he's actually taking more of a, a certain forcefulness with his new place on the world stage. Turkey, for a long time, has created uh, great tension within NATO. I believe there's much happening behind the scenes in this area. The European Union does hope to step up and be more confronting. That we know. Well, the new European Union foreign envoy, I don't know if that's the same person you're talking about or not, but he has made the statement that there's nothing anti-Semitic if you're in favor of a two-state solution. Now, they're pushing for that two-state solution, trying to say it's not anti-Semitic. What do you know on that story? Yes, the new uh, foreign envoy, Joseph Borrell, uh, he previously was the Spanish foreign minister and also the president of the European Union Parliament. So he will be fulfilling the title, the new role of high representative of the Union for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy. So he is expected to be confirmed on November 1st, and he's succeeding uh, Federica Mogherini in that position. So in his uh, confirmation hearing and introductory speech, he is defending the EU position of a two-state solution. He's actually, as we said earlier, he's taking a more forceful stand in his new position. In the speech, he said as a quote, the EU has to learn to use the language of power. So he's uh, exhibiting this forcefulness, even though there's still the EU policy of the two-state solution. He appears to be stronger in the presentation of this as he fulfills his new role. I believe that we'll see more from Joseph Borrell in his position as high representative. And by the way, in case you're wondering what the new state solution, we're talking, of course, about Israel and the Palestinian people wanting two different states, a Palestinian state, which there has never been, and the state of Israel, of course. John, thank you for your European Union update. It's so essential as we think about Bible prophecy. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. 
Great conversation with John Rood, updating everybody listening to the broadcast today on the European Union and the political decisions they are making, which will set in place the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. Well, right now, I want to go to my namesake, Dr. Don DeYoung. Don is head of the science department at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. He's an author. He's written several books. He is just a speaker that is in demand all across the countryside, and we're thrilled when we can have him as our broadcast partners. Don, this last week, I was looking at the CNN website page, and I saw three articles dealing with space, several reports that I thought would be good for you and I to discuss. So that's why I've got you on the line with us today. Now, that first article I read was talking about astronomers who have been able to discover a baby star in what they referred to as a cosmic pretzel. First of all, you need to explain the headline, but uh, tell us what baby stars are also. Well, yes, uh, Jimmy, glad to join you. What they've noticed in the sky is uh, really uh, two stars. It's called a binary system. Actually, most stars come in multiples, and binaries are very common. And uh, they're calling these stars rather young. And what they notice is around uh, the vicinity, there are strands of uh, gaseous material. Of course, everything is very large, and gravity of these stars is drawing in that material. So the thought is the stars are growing in, in mass as they take in nearby material. Now, of course, when they say that these are young stars or a solar nursery, we don't see these things changing. It's so vast, and really the, the growth, the aging of a star is a 100,000-year process. We don't have time for that kind of thing. I would say that creation, day number four, God made all kinds of stars. He made dwarfs and giants, and including these two binary stars that they're noticing as well. So they do have the model that stars evolve and change, but with a, a biblical time scale, I think we are still seeing the sky and the stars much as God put them in place in all of their grand variety and, uh, you know, an appearance of change. And when you talk about the stars, he used four words to put them out there in space and the stars also. I love that. I just love that phrase there. Well, they also talked about an explosion in the center of our Milky Way. That's the name of our galaxy. They say it happened about 3.5 million years ago, and it was so powerful that it was felt some 200,000 light years away. Now, let's talk about why the explosion, and then I want to ask you, how could they tell it was felt some 200,000 light years away, and how far away is that? But first, what about the explosion? Well, once again, the large time scale is assumed here. What's noticed, uh, Jimmy, is around the outside of the Milky Way, there, there's a, almost like a halo. There, it's, it, it's a shell of material which is moving outward. So extrapolating backward, the suggestion is that there was some kind of flare, some kind of explosion in the center of the galaxy, and over all this time, that material is spread out to where we see it today. So it's the old case where they're looking at big distance, this far distant halo, 
and assuming that it started as a point way back in, in ancient times. You know, I just see this as more variety. The, the Milky Way galaxy is just an interesting place, so much detail. And this band of material, I don't know, God had his purpose for putting that uh, halo out there. We also have globular clusters of stars orbiting the outside of the galaxies. It's a complicated uh, place. But again, I think it's a, a wrong extrapolation to go way back in time and say it started as a point. Our universe, Jimmy, was made adult. It was made fully functioning with all the variety that we see in it. Don, talk to me about this thought that uh, this could be felt, this explosion, 200,000 light years away. How, how far away would that be? I mean, that's quite a distance, isn't it? Well, it's a, certainly a great distance. The point is, um, this halo that they see is around the outside of our galaxy, which is already very large. And if that's, uh, let's say, 200,000 light years away then you can say, well, it would have taken that long for that material to get out there, and then you're into a flare that they say occurred millions of years ago. But again, it's, it's attaching big distance to big time, and I think that's where the error is made. God made a vast universe and a large galaxy, but it doesn't mean that it took a long time. He spoke these things into existence and all of their grand array really on one day, on day number four. I might also add, Jimmy, it's, it's always, again, suggested that uh, big distances require big time. But, you know, when you think of the last days, like over in Second Peter 3, where it says the heavens will disappear with a roar when God prepares the new heavens and new earth, that shows that things can happen quickly in the end times, just as they happen quickly at creation. And Jesus Christ, of course, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one in charge of creation in the past, and looking to the future, he's in charge of prophecy as well. Don, you've got me excited about the moon, and every night I walk, and when the moon is up, I just get excited. I, You know, I'm a Baptist, but I lift my arms and shout because I love that moon that is above our planet. However, now they're reporting 20 new moons that are found around Saturn. Man, I'd go crazy if I was on Saturn with all those moons. Why just found? I mean, what has taken so long? Is it our capability of seeing into space, or what is it? Well, Jimmy, of course, a moon is an object that circles the planet as the planet circled the sun. And uh, new moons, that's, that's an active area of research. Each year we come up with new telescopes with higher resolution, and then we find smaller moons that just, we couldn't see them before. These new ones are, are not all that large, maybe just a couple of miles in size, and uh, they just weren't detected earlier. So, yeah, the, the number of moons, objects circling Saturn has now jumped up to 82 and put it in first place. Jupiter's just behind with uh, 79 moons. And, you know, by next year, the number will increase more, and I'm sure that each of these outer planets really has hundreds of moons, these objects that are circling them. So anyway, the score right now, Mercury and Venus have no moons. Uh, Mars has a couple. Of course, the Earth has one moon, but it's a special one that we look at. It's, you know, our moon, Jimmy, is a witness to the creation. With all the efforts they put into it, they cannot determine the origin of the moon. None of the theories work. God put it there. And along with that, our moon, the more we look at it, even though there are hundreds of other moons in the solar system, 
our moon is special. It's unique. It's larger for its size than the other moons. It gives us the eclipses when it can cover the sun. The moon's tides uh, keep our oceans healthy. So it's, uh, it serves its purpose, our created moon. Wow. That's the reason I wanted you on this broadcast. You make it sound so exciting out there. And in essence, Don, all of this is evidence of the glory of the Lord, isn't it? Psalm 19. Well, isn't it, though? And all of our man-made origin theories fall short, and uh, creation makes good sense, and it all points really to the Lord Jesus, who was the creator as it all started. And Don pointed out to us just a moment ago that Jesus Christ is going to follow through with the end of times as well as the beginning of times. Don, always a great opportunity when I get to be able to talk to you. I learn so much. I'm sure our listeners do as well. Thank you so very much, and we'll be talking again down the line, I hope, real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Greetings to the listeners. What an exciting report from Dr. Don DeYoung. Love to have a conversation with him. It just continually is presenting how we can look at and understand the glory of the Lord, Psalm chapter 19. Well, we have to take a break now. We have one more broadcast partner. David James and I will be discussing social justice. We'll do that in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here, welcoming you back to the final half hour of Prophecy Today weekend. I'm so grateful for you being able to stay with us for the entire 90 minutes of information, talking with my broadcast partners, giving you insight into current events in light of biblical prophecy. In a moment, David James will come to the broadcast table. Keep the dial set right where it is. Love to have you answer our poll question. It's on my home page of my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll find the poll question. Here it is. Do you think that President Trump's political decision to withdraw All U.S. troops from Syria may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Love for you to answer that poll question. And while you're on the website, check out information about our School of Prophets Conference. It's upcoming the first week of December on my home page. You'll be able to find everything you need to know to register, what the schedule will be, the location, and the exact dates as well. We'll be at the Temple Baptist Church this Sunday, all day Sunday. We'll have a service at 11 and then at 6 p.m. That's the Temple Baptist Church here in Titusville, Florida, where I'm operating out of temporary studios. And then on Tuesday at 1030, a prime timers gathering, we're going to have fellowship. That means food, F-O-O-D. That's how you spell fellowship, remember. And I'm going to be giving a Middle East news update talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. You do not want to miss that. We now bring to this microphone David James. We have a weekly conversation when David and I get together to talk about an issue confronting the body of Christ, the church, and we endeavor to try to find the biblical solution to that particular issue, whatever it may be, so we can make it applicable for our life and our daily walk with the Lord. 
Well, this week we catch up with David just as he gets ready to head up to upstate New York, the Word of Life Bible Institute there in New York. David, what will you be teaching the students there at the Institute this week? Well, that's right. I will be heading up to the Word of Life Bible Institute in the Scroon Lake area, and I'll be teaching Understanding Roman Catholicism. And I've also done this as a church conference several times, so if any of our listeners would like to have me come to their church to do a conference on Roman Catholicism, they can contact me through the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org or through the Prophecy Today website. You know, that'd be a great opportunity for a local church to have this seminar. Man, that was a, a great suggestion, David. And what a mission fill Catholicism and all its participants are in our world today. Well, we'll be praying for you as you go to the Bible Institute to teach these young people these very important truths. David, a few days ago, you sent me an article from CRU website. Now, that's a ministry which was formerly known as the Campus Crusade for Christ ministry. The title of the article was Weaving Social Justice into CRU Movements. I think this is something that should be concerning evangelical believers for several reasons. There was a time when Campus Crusade was known for evangelism and discipleship on college campuses around the world. That does not seem to be the case today, does it? Right. Well, I guess I'm getting old, Jimmy. I really have a difficult time using Crew as their new name. To me, they will always be Campus Crusade for Christ. My first introduction to Campus Crusade was as a new believer in a conservative independent Bible church, and some young people in our church were members of schools where Campus Crusade was active, and they were strong with evangelism and discipleship programs on those campuses. Then when we arrived as missionaries in Hungary in 1992, we found the same thing. And in fact, our first camp director was saved through Campus Crusade as a college student, and he continues to be a main Bible teacher for Word of Life Hungary as a graduate of both Word of Life Hungary Bible Institute and Dallas Seminary. So getting to the crew article I sent you, the following is one of the things that I think is most disturbing. He says, I think that justification and justice are joined at the hip, and yet in Christianity today, it seems like you are either passionate about evangelism or doing justice. I desire to be a part of both. I honestly get confused on how to build movements that incorporate both. Then he goes on to say, as a crew student and now as a staff member, I've often felt stifled in my concern for justice, specifically caring for widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. There's a tension between my heart for justice and my heart for our mission and vision of winning, building, and sending college students. And, Jimmy, I would say it's this tension that's now leading many to lose focus and blur the lines between gospel mission and social action. And, unfortunately, history tells us that social action often slowly replaces evangelism over time. And, as the saying goes, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And, you know, we hear so much about social justice all the time, and sometimes the term social justice warriors. Maybe you could take a moment to explain exactly what is meant by these concepts. 
Well, actually, the whole concept of social justice has a very long and complicated history as it relates to philosophy and religion, uh, as well as how it is to be considered going from the local level to the global level, so it can be kind of hard to sort through things. It takes sometimes quite a bit of work to figure the whole thing out. In 2006, the United Nations produced a document titled Social Justice in an Open World, the Role of the United Nations, and the document went on to say this, social justice justice may be broadly understood as the fair and compassionate distribution of the fruits of economic growth. But I think in the past decade or so, a lot of other things have been brought into the whole category of social justice issues. Now it involves perceived injustices at the local and state level, but then also within and between nations, and they include income equality, perceived injustices in the legal system, racial injustices, uh, prejudice and inequality related to educational and work opportunities, and just how people are treated in general. But they also not only include gender issues between men and women, but now gender identity issues that have now been elevated to social justice issues, and the list just goes on and on. And to this is also being added issues related to the environment and climate change, so it's completely systemic and pervasive. And many see themselves as social justice warriors, or SJWs, as they're sometimes called. These are crusaders who are totally devoted to disrupting the status quo in whatever way they can. And now the most visible target at the moment is the upcoming presidential election, and many Democrats are trying to position themselves as social justice warriors in the campaign and uh, are attempting to characterize Republicans as the evil enemies who couldn't care less about people. Well, David, I would think it would be true that Christians should be concerned about social issues. I think, and when you not believe also, that we must be concerned for the most vulnerable in our world, that the basic needs of these kinds of people are met? Well, definitely there is a need for believers to be salt and light in the world. But what we need to understand is that we need to apply biblical principles properly. And the first thing that needs to be understood is that the passage that is most frequently appealed to is Matthew 25, and that passage has a very specific interpretation and application, but it's misused by folks advocating for this social justice all the time. And this passage reads this way, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then it goes on to say this, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And he says, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now, this is what is often misinterpreted, because it's often said this is how the Church should function in society. But in context, this is about what happens in connected with the coming Holocaust against uh, the Jewish people under the Antichrist during Daniel's 70th week, when he will seek to destroy the entire nation. And Matthew 24 tells us 
that when the Antichrist is seen standing in the Holy of Holies in the rebuilt temple, Israelites, the Jewish people, need to run for, for their lives. So Matthew 25 involves judgment concerning how Gentiles will have cared for the Jewish people during this time of unprecedented persecution. But in contrast, the Church is commissioned to be light and salt in the world, to influence society, to share the gospel, to be good citizens, to care for those in our local fellowships. Those things are our mandate. We are not mandated to fundamentally change society through social and governmental systems. David, I'm so glad that uh, you interpreted for our listeners Matthew chapter 25, and in its context, it's a key passage of Scripture. Well, not too long ago, you brought a related issue to my attention, something called Integral Missions, a movement that's sweeping through some historic evangelical colleges and seminaries. How does this fit into what we're talking about today. Well, Paul Barreca, who is the president of the mission agency FIM and one of the co-founders of the Alliance for Biblical Integrity, recently presented an academic paper on that very topic of integral missions at the recent Council on Dispensational Hermeneutics Annual Conference. You could call this a dispensational academic think tank. And when you present a paper in this forum, you have 30 minutes to present your work, and then those attending have at least 45 minutes minutes, if I recall correctly, uh, to answer questions uh, and to be challenged. And let me take just a moment to read a couple of statements in Paul's paper. Integral Missions is producing missionaries and mission movements that incorporate socioeconomic engagement as an essential component of the gospel. This paper will elevate the origin of integral mission and argue that the gospel is being redefined to require socioeconomic engagement something beyond its biblical definition. Then he goes on to say this, Although societal changes may have been brought about by people whose lives were transformed by the gospel, societal change was not the reason that Christians shared the gospel. And this paper seeks to elevate the biblical gospel because of its inherent power to change lives while keeping it separate from human programs and social action, which, although important, are different endeavors. And I worked with Paul some on this paper and did some editing on it for him, and as we discussed this issue, and it's sometimes called holistic missions, he said he's been running into it in many, if not most, Christian colleges and seminaries he visits because he does a lot of recruiting for future missionaries. David, would you say that evangelicalism today is headed down the same path that liberal Protestantism went down decades ago with the social gospel. Well, Jimmy, that is a big concern for me and many others, and I'd say we're watching history repeat itself, and I've actually begun calling this new movement the Social Gospel 2.0. The Social Gospel came at a time when two things were happening. Mainline denominations were becoming more liberal and began to no longer preach the gospel and began to believe that everyone would be saved in any religion apart from Jesus Christ. And then they replaced the gospel mandate with a social mandate, believing that man is inherently good at heart, and so they could work with other groups uh, no matter what they believe. So doctrinal matters were no longer that big of a concern for them. And what is now being said by those pushing this, they're moving in a direction that 
if you're not involved with socioeconomic programs, then they're saying you're not even preaching the gospel. And so they've blurred the lines between the two. And with all the talk about socialism that we hear every day, it's almost reminiscent of Catholic liberation theology of the past 50 years in South America, which is a combination of Catholic theology and Marxist ideology. Well, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 5, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, the Jew first and also the Greek. Not a social gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. David, thank you so very much for this report. I think this is a type of report we need to give the body of Christ and especially leadership in the body of Christ as it relates to the future. Thank you, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. Thanks, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to have an opportunity to open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, I went to my broadcast partners around the world for their reports on current events. If anybody has the insight into these current events, my broadcast partners do. That's why we rely on them to give us unseen and unstated insight into all the current events. If you had to miss any of the reports from my broadcast partners, let me remind you that we archive all of these reports 
so that you can go to them and listen and make sure that you catch everything they're reporting. You can do that by going to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There we've archived the reports. You can listen to them and be sure to pass along the information. How a friend of yours may be able to listen to these reports as well. Let's spread this out across the country so that we can benefit from these reports by my broadcast partners. Now let me take a moment to rehearse for you the lead story from each of the broadcast partners and then give you my prophetic perspective. The man who covers geopolitical activities around the world for us is Ken Timmerman. His lead story, Turkey's Invasion of Syria Going After the Kurds. You know the United States pullout of all the military personnel in Syria actually opened the door for this to happen. This was a political move by President Trump. Politics does set the stage for prophecy to be fulfilled. That's Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17, where the Lord says, I will put into the hearts of political leaders to fulfill my will. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. He talked about the Prime Minister of Israel saying that Israelis must rethink their relationship with Russia, and now it seems to be critical since the United States pull out of Syria. This U.S. move is a warning to Israel. The United States could stop defending the Jewish state, and they could do that at any time. Israel says that they can defend themselves. Well, that's not quite true, but the Lord is going to intercede in this attack, this alignment of nations, when Ezekiel 38 is played out. Ezekiel 38, verse 18 through chapter 39, verse 6, says that the Lord will intercede and protect the Jewish people because he has a plan for them. Winky Madad After his time of worship during Yom Kippur, that was a 25-hour fast, and as soon as that fast was over, he started putting together his sukkah. Now, that's a thatched hut, sukkah meaning in English, tabernacle. You might remember over there in Matthew chapter 17, when the Lord took his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, went up onto Mount Hermon to the location of the transfiguration, And there Peter saw Elijah, Moses, and Jesus in their kingdom bodies. And he said, can I build us now three tabernacles? What he was talking about, a sukkah. The Feast of Tabernacles looks forward to the kingdom when Jesus Christ comes and will dwell among his people forever. He does that first in the millennial kingdom And that will be the kingdom period as foretold in the Feast of Tabernacles. Winky also gave us an update on the elections. There was not much to report. And by the way, let me say you need to go back and hear what he said when I asked him about the U.S. pullout of their soldiers there in Syria. He had a very interesting thought or two that would suggest that Israel had better be careful about any relationship they make with anybody, but especially the United States. Very interesting comment 
from Winky Madad. By the way, those Jewish feasts, Leviticus chapter 23, Jesus Christ fulfills all of those feasts. Crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, resurrected on first fruits, and on Pentecost, he sent the Holy Spirit as promised. On the Feast of Trumpets, he returns to the earth, not the rapture, the return. Then on Yom Kippur, the Jewish nation is saved in a day and the celebration of the kingdom to come for the Jewish people foretold in the Feast of Tabernacles. John Rood, reporting on the European Union, said the Turkey invasion of Syria against the Kurds is a part of what the Bible said would happen. Ezekiel 38, verses 2 and 6 talk about Turkey. They are key to the alignment of nations. The Kurds also play a key role in the end times. That would be the book of Jeremiah, chapter 51 and verse 11, when the Antichrist is ruling a one-world economic, political, governmental system in the literal city of Babylon. That's Revelation chapter 18. And the Lord says in Jeremiah 51 and 11, he will raise up the spirit of the Medes of the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medes today are the Kurds, and they will assist in going after the city of Babylon to destroy it in one hour. Don DeYoung talked about the activities in outer space, an explosion, finding two baby stars, and Saturn, they found 20 more moons there in that location. You know, all of space displays the glory of the Lord. That's Psalm chapter 19. Not millions of years ago did this take place, but when you go to the book of Genesis, which is recording what happened about 6,000 years ago, it was on the fourth day of creation that God put the moon and the stars along with the sun in the heavenlies, and they display his glory. And then David James and I, we talked about the gospel of social justice taking over the true gospel. We must take care of the needs of the needy, but not as a replacement for the gospel. If we get someone saved, they will help others and themselves. And that gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the true gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth, Romans chapter 1. And this is all of the reports as I've rehearsed them to you from our broadcast partners, all evidence that we are quickly approaching the time of the rapture of the church. In fact, that rapture could actually happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.